Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm again here with the lovely Wendy Christie. Wendy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Looking forward to the weekend. I've just taken delivery of some seeds. So I'm going to have a go at growing stuff from actual seeds. Very nice. Uh, See if if I have any more luck than growing things any other way. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with my Duolingo app. As you know, I'm learning Portuguese in preparation for a holiday that we've got coming up, but I'm not telling my other half that I'm doing it. So I've blown it if he listens to the podcast. (laughs) I still think this is like the best prank ever. So, (laughs) Well, talking of holidays, I had a nice little sort of break. I was actually on um, a Virgin cruise at the beginning of this week. Uh, It was like a friends and family thing where I had the really difficult task of trying out one of their new cruise ships and eating all of the food and testing out the cocktails and that kind of oh, thing. Oh, sorry. It, I know. It was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's good to have a little break. But uh, we are joined live from New York by the amazing Leo Morhon. And Leo is very well known for uh, something that I remember because I've been in the industry for a while, the Oreos Dunk in the Dark tweet. And of course, uh, he's known for his strategic work, uh, agency side, brand side, and tech. And we'll we'll hear a little bit more about that, actually. But welcome to the show, Leo. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. Fantastic. Well, Leo, let's jump straight in. I think I've, I've mentioned the Oreo tweet, tweet uh, Dunk in the Dark tweet, but can you just give us a bit of a flavor of how you got to where you are now and just just take us through a bit of a journey of of what it's been like in your your career. Yeah, sure. I like to think of my career in three different stages and I like to compare it to gold mining actually. So I think I like to say I started my career looking for the gold in the agency world. What's the next coolest thing that I could do for my clients, for the brands that I'm working on? What's the the campaign that's going to win an award that's going to help grow their business? And then after that, I went to sell the shovel. So I looked at the technology that I was using to support those brands, and I went to work there. So that's how I got into the technology side of things. I'm like, what's a good way for me to be able to support everybody? Hmm. If I'm selling the shovel, I can help all marketers. I could help anybody find gold, right? That's going to be a, a beneficial based on like who I am and the things I want to do. It also happens to help when it comes to money too, because whether you find gold or not, you still need a shovel. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice little byproduct of that. And then I like to think now that I'm on the brand side, I get to do both. I get to look for the gold. I get to work on the shovel, improve the shovel, and focus on all kind of different things based on my background. So I like to think about my career in that kind of world. And I love it. It's It's been such an awesome adventure. Fantastic. And can you give us a little sort of hint of who with the uh, the, the gold and, and the, the shovels? And <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, they, I mean, one of the pieces of gold is what you mentioned, the Oreo blackout tweet. It definitely found some gold there just on, on Twitter that ended up 
blowing up and did fantastically well. Another one, it happened three, about three years before, two to three years before the Oreo blackout suite. So let's say like 2010, 2011 was that we went for the first Guinness World Record ever in social media. And it was the most likes on Facebook within 24 hours. That was amazing. That's really striking gold. Think about luck. We ended up going for it. And then within like a few hours, little Wayne decided to go for it too. Oh, wow. He completely blew us out of the water. I think we ended <laughs> up with like 115,000, which was a lot back then. He ended up with like 3 million. But because we started it before him, we ended up getting the plaque, which I know that we're not on video, but it's actually hanging up here on my wall. We ended up getting the plaque and then losing the award about, you know, whatever it was, like 12 hours, 16 hours later. So that's some of the gold that we were able to find for some of the brands. And as far as the shovel itself, we use a technology called Xpion mm-hmm. to manage all of that content. It was a social media listening tool, content management tool, content creation tool, social media analytics tool. And then I said, all right, this is something. This is something every brand needs, right? Whether you're big, you're small, you're medium, whatever it may be, you need this. And we started providing those tools to people through that technology, Xbeyond, which then later became Sysmos. And I, actually, Sysmos was bought by Meltwater. So mm-hmm. there are different iterations of that. But we were able to give the power of social media listening to everybody, right? Or at least sell it, right? And then have people use it and the content management. And we were able to work with brands like Estee Lauder companies, so Le Maire and all the other companies that they own. And Oreo used us, Coca-Cola used us. So there was a time when we were being used by some of the biggest brands in the world to manage every single post that went out on Facebook, every single post that went out on Twitter around the world. And yeah, the mix innovative both is, is here at Applegate, right? Selling natural or organic meats and cheeses, but also working in the new innovation space when it comes to social media, influence marketing, all that. How do we put all that together? Fantastic. I love the whole, you know, analogy of the, uh, the padding for gold as well. I'm also curious to know, how did you get into the agency world in the first place? Was it a bit of a sort of a calling? Was it by accident or by design? I, mostly by accident. I was doing social media marketing for a cafe in New Jersey, like something completely unknown, like a local little cafe. And my girlfriend at the time was like, you should get an internship. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, I, so I went on Craigslist and I got an internship at a company called Ice Media, an agency that did a lot of promotional work for Justin Timberlake movies and so on and so on. Cool. And then someone else later on, I was there for like three months unpaid going from New Jersey into the city. And someone was like, you should get a job. I didn't even have a college degree at this point. They're like, I'm like, okay. So I went back to Craigslist and I did a search, like who's trying to hire social media people. And this company called J. Walter Thompson, for those that may not know, is the oldest ad agency in the United States and one of the biggest in the world, brought me in. And I had no idea who they were. I was very young. I barely was, I was in college, but I wasn't finished yet. So I didn't have training as to like how to interview or anything like that. So I just walked in really unprepared. And I remember walking into the building being like, oh, where am I? <laughs> this is amazing. And uh, yeah, they hired me. And the interview was was awesome. They asked me, like, you know, well, with my experience on MySpace, what blogs did I read? What did I think about the future of social media? And even I think at back then, the, the word social media wasn't even used. They were using the word emerging technologies and right. social media. Digital and yeah. 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 So I, I kind of stumbled into it. And all of a sudden, you know, I went to 360i because I was in this agency world. But yeah, kind of just that was my little story. It's just someone told me you should get a job and an internship. And I'm like, I'll give it a shot. Right time, right place. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And do you mind, Leo, if we go even further back than that? So we're really interested in learning what people were like as kids influences, uh, you know, where they end up as adults. So what were you like as a kid? Hmm. I guess it always depends on who you ask and in what situation. (laughs) But the the things that come to mind, I was a very inquisitive child. I remember I was raised by my grandparents mostly. And I would always ask why. I was that kid that always asked why. But I always remember that my grandpa encouraged me to always ask why and continue to ask why. Wow. He loved it. Maybe annoyed some other people. Uh, I remember also, I actually did not like school. Up until like the third grade, I would run away. The teacher, Mrs. Hoover, in third grade would literally chase me outside of the school into the street because I would run away. So from the earliest time that I could remember, I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be social. I wanted to go exploring. I didn't like this confinement of why do I have to go ahead and be in the school where I'm locked down and forced to do whatever they tell me to do when I could go outside and play with my friends. I wasn't very much thinking that my friends were also in school. <laughs> I thought I could just go play. But it was a fair question. And that's kind of like how I, I was. I, I don't think I really ever liked going to school. I like the social aspects of my school you know, all the way until high school. But like school itself, I really was like, can I go do something else? I want to go do something else. And do you think that shaped how you are now? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think... Even back then in school, I remember, for better or worse, right, this isn't a recommendation that I'm giving to anybody to do. I remember some students that I went to, ended up going to the same kind of college to and having the same kind of experiences, they would take more advanced classes and stay up all night. And I would try to take like the general classes and be like, I get to go out and play, right? (laughs) Still, and I don't know what the difference is, right? So I was always kind of looking for an alternative route. And I think that kind of applies to today and whether, you know, that I got into social media, right? Something that doesn't have a book or didn't have a book back then for you to follow. So, yeah, it definitely is still something that I think about almost every day. And when you were a kid, you know, sort of looking forward to your adulthood, were there things that you wanted to be or was there a particular childhood dream? Yeah, I, I wanted to be an inventor and I also wanted to be a movie reviewer. Cool. Yeah, as a movie reviewer because I still love movies till this day. And I'm like, I'm going to get paid to watch them and tell people what I think. I'm like, what better job than that? <laughs> All right. And then an inventor, I, I mean, I get to create things that change the world, support people, make people's lives easier, better. Like, heck, that sounds amazing. Maybe I could have done both. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you talked about your, your grandpa there a couple of minutes ago, and, and it sounds like he was a Uh, you know, a real force for good in your life, a a real positive influence. And are there other people like that over the years, either people that you've worked with or or friends that you've had who've really influenced and supported you? Certainly. There are absolutely countless people that I could mention that have supported me. I would not be where I am even in the slightest without those people by any means that have taught me, supported me. Uh, I can name a heck of a lot. The one that I really never had the opportunity to thank, especially publicly, is uh, David Rosenberg, my first boss at JWT. At first, we had a bit of a turbulent relationship. He was uh, very strict and made sure that I followed everything that I did to his plan. Mm -hmm. And I would get upset by it. But then years later, until this day, I look back and I'm like, wow, 
he's actually made me who I am today. There's not a day that goes by or an email that I send that I don't apply his teachings and the things that he bestowed upon me. So I definitely want to call him out as really like one of the best, Mm -hmm. most influential people. But I didn't realize it at the time. I was resentful at the time, right? So often the case, isn't it? It's it's, this sort of looking back. Oh, well, hopefully he'll, he'll hear this and he'll know. I hope so. So is there anyone else that you wanted to mention? Yeah. Uh, as far as like the, the biggest impact in my life and in my career, Brian Weiner, who was the CEO of 360i, then became the chairman, then started working with us at Xbeon as the chairman there as well, or uh, head of the board. And he was the one that taught me how to sell the shovel. At first, I didn't really want to always sell the shovel. I was scared of it. I was scared of like salespeople, business development. I didn't like the term. And he gave me an MBA teaching me, like, tell your stories, talk about your Oreo experiences, talk about what you like about this too or not, and just go do that in front of people. And all of a sudden, I became a successful salesperson at the company and teaching other salespeople. And I was just being myself. Right? I didn't never really consider myself a salesperson or anything. And he gave me that ability. And he also gave me the ability to fail. I feel like a lot of people say that to you, like, you could fail, but really don't fail. He actually did. He 100%, I knew that I could fail and I could try different things and he'd be there to support me. I've been told that by many, many, many people, but it's something that they like to say because they read in a book. Yeah. Not something in actuality. And he let me fail. And that, was that quite scary to begin with? Oh yeah, certainly very scary, right? Like uh, at the end of the day, my self-conscious and the pessimism in me was like, is that really true? Can I really fail? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen if I do that, right? And I was super scared. I was super scared at first all the time. I I remember getting on phone calls with people, talking too long, not really getting to the point, all that kind of good stuff. I remember not wanting to call and follow ups with people. This is something that everyone deals with following up with folks. Mm. And Brian Wiener was like, hey, what was the last time you followed up with that prospect? I'm like, a week ago. He's like, call them. I'm like, oh, I don't want to bother him. He's like, no, call them. Pick up the phone, call them. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But then I'd pick up the phone and call them and he helped me get rid of that. You know, that little pit that you get that you shouldn't, yeah. maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe whether it's right or wrong, he helped me like, I feel that today, but I'm able to overcome it. That takes a lot of trust, I think, doesn't it? On both parts of that relationship. Yeah. And I actually remember a story. We went to present to, I, I won't mention the television network, but we went to present to a very popular television network here in the States. And it was an hour meeting. I ended up speaking for almost two hours. And I was so excited, so happy. I thought I did an amazing job. I went to Brian Weiner and I said, look at the amazing job that I did. We spoke for two hours. It was only an hour. He's like, actually, you did a poor job. And I'm like, well, I remember he had like these leather, leather sofas in his office at 360i. He was still in the 360i building. And I remember just thinking, I'm like, why? He's like, who's the key decision maker? What are the next steps? What's the budget? And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know any of that, but they liked me. <laughs> He's like, that's cool, right? But who are you meeting up with? Who are you following up? What, what's their contact information? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know any of this. <laughs> so that is something that I take till today to structure my language, structure my time hmm. and the things that I do and say. And just moving in a sort of different direction, I, I want to go back through your career again. 
what have you been most proud of so far? I mean, you've done so many things, but maybe if you could share one or two stories of what you've been most proud of. Sure. You know, I think that the first thing that comes to mind is really all the people that I've been able to work with and impact, whether hiring someone, or there's a person that I'm very close with, Sebastian, who I was able to, he was, he's Colombian and he was just trying to break into the United States, have an office to work at and have a job to work at. And I was able to support him stay in this country. So things like that, I am very, 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 very proud of. And there are countless people like that, that I've been able to support based on my position and my success. And that's number one by far, maybe one, two, three, four or five. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I had to do like just more uh, a technical kind of uh, pragmatic response to that question based on my marketing, I, I consider myself very geeky when it comes to like operationalization of things, when it comes to workflows and creating these big elaborate flows for Oreo working on an international basis. How does one country interact with the other country? What is the review process? How do things get translated? How do things get posted? How do things get analyzed? Like these are playbooks that go into like 200 pages that Mm -hmm. explain every single thing that you could ever want to know about a business. I get super excited about those things. And I'm I'm sure that legacy is still there because uh, I know that the work that we do with with, with Mondelez, it's all very efficient. So I'm sure that there's there's a bit of a a Leo (laughs) legacy there. (laughs) <laughs> I, I hope. I Someone taught me that, you know, it's funny. It, it comes from a place in high school. I, I was doing some carpentry work and the person told me we couldn't do good carpentry unless we knew where all our tools were, unless they were all cleaned, unless we put them back. And when people always ask me, and it's never an answer that they like, I think very few people actually like this answer. Like, how did the oral blackout tweet happen? I'm like, well, it was a deck that we presented three years ago. And then we came up with this system to review processes. And then I'm like, they're like, that's not sexy. But but how did it happen? I'm like, I don't know what answer to give you. Like, it almost like wasn't magic because we had all the tools in place. We knew each other so well. So I believe if you want innovation, you need to foster and create the environment for that. I sometimes say, for better or worse, because some people could take it incorrectly. I don't care what the idea is. I don't care what we could, what we post. Uh, I don't care so much about the strategy. If I've developed the right team and the right system and the right trust, all that will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The right content will come. The right strategy will come. The right technology will be built. If we've just built and taken, taken care of the foundation, it's like easy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Not so easy, but you know what I mean. I like to call it planned spontaneity. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, trademark that. <laughs> so what's the bravest thing that you've done, either in your career or outside of your career? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, outside of my career is moving a bunch. I lived in London for a bit for Beyond and traveled to Switzerland. Then I, I actually moved to the Midwest. I moved to Denver. I moved to a heck of a bunch of different places. And leaving the place where I'm from, New Jersey, for the first time really. And then again and again was super scary. Like I used to be really proud. I'm still proud of being from Jersey and and where Mm -hmm. I am, where I'm from, but I I thought I would never leave. You'd ask me like four years before I moved, I'm like, I'll never leave. And moving was one of the scariest things. I remember being so anxious, picking up all my stuff and moving. And it's the, the best thing I ever did. What, what kind of like character traits do you think you drew on to, to sort of be able to just, 
you know, start start a new life in these different countries then? Sure. You know, I, I think back to what I said earlier with uh, Brian Weiner. It's almost like being trained to be, I know this is very, very, very cliche, but being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That feeling in my gut of like, that's scary, don't do it, was there. But I almost now take a look at that feeling and I'm like, oh, that's something I should do. Yeah. Right? So every single one of those times I felt that feeling. I still feel that feeling today, right? It doesn't necessarily go away. But now I look at it and I'm like, this is something I should do. Yeah. I'm going to do it. So I think that's really the the main core thing that allowed me to make the jumps to different countries and such. Cool. And going back to you being sort of, you've been around in very sort of pioneering times and you're always kind of like uh, doing different things. Now, I'm kind of keen to know what your views are on how brands are going to capitalize on the the metaverse. So what are the opportunities from from your point of view? And and I know that you do some work with um, web3cares.com as well. So maybe just kind of like share about your thoughts on there. Sure. I think we are in a very, very, very exciting time. I think what's happening right now is the new internet is being built. People are able to actually see it, talk about it, and interact with it which is completely different than like web one, which was like the AOL days of just posting or web two was a little bit more like, you know, UGC social media in the nineties and late early two thousands, you couldn't actually see it being built. You could only interact with it and you couldn't really have conversations at scale with people. But right now in web three, that's happening right now. So we're seeing people stumble. So there's a lot of polarizing around NFTs about web three domain names, the metaverse and things like that. But there are going to be almost boundless opportunities for brands very, very, very shortly. Right now, I don't blame any brand that doesn't go into the world of NFTs and the metaverse and such like that, because I think we're still learning and hasn't been established what exactly is Web3. But brands could participate easily. They could create NFTs that will allow for utility. It could be a ticket to an event. It could be something that they use as loyalty points. Uh, From a more, let's say, metaverse perspective, a lot of fashion brands are jumping in right now where they're creating shirts, clothing, you know, handbags, shoes, and things like that for your characters in this space. The main problem I think right now is you lose if you use the word NFT or if you use the word metaverse or you use the word Web3. I think brands right now are quickly forgetting that we don't need to explain the technology, how it works, focus on the why, right? Hey, I'm going to give you a cool experience where you could check out new clothing. Oh, by the way, that's someone in an NFT. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Now it's, and I think as soon as you say NFT or where you say the metaverse to the public, you're going to lose a lot of people. If you name it now, you're doing it for PR, which there's a place for that, right? There are some brands that only do things for the PR sake, and that's perfectly fine. Oreo is one of them, right? So I hope that answers your question in a maybe not so pointed way. No, no, it's <laughs> it's great. Because, and it's really refreshing because, you know, I think sometimes there is a tendency for people to just sort of dis- dismiss things because they haven't necessarily seen what could be done. And, and perhaps until people start doing really cool stuff and then go, you know, brands will go, okay, I get it. I think we're at that stage where people are very quick to to dismiss it and and kind of poo poo it and and you know I'm I've I've been in in this world since the sort of uh, mid nineties late nineties I know that Wendy obviously was one of the pioneers driving a lot of the community in in AOL so there is a sense that you know I've seen a lot of this before 
<laughs> but it is different yep. and it's of course it's going to be different because you know years have gone by and and the technology is, is so different but i get excited about the possibility without even knowing what could happen and and it's kind of refreshing to to hear you sort of get excited as well yeah i couldn't agree more as both you and you know your whole company as a whole you have a lot of people that have been pioneers in the social media space how many do you, of you do you remember when they said why would i tweet i don't want to post a picture of my sandwich yeah <laughs> why would i tweet that i went to the bathroom those were the jokes right you remember that mm-hmm. yeah 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 and now we've made a profession out of it <laughs> i literally that's my job you know in many ways but if we would have all it's kind of taken a look at just where you post a sandwich or where you post that you went to the bathroom kind of would have missed the boat and if you study history and you look at technology, it's all kind of been the same, right? When the cars started coming out, people were like, well, there's not really a gas station everywhere, but there's hay barrels and watering holes everywhere where I can take my horse. I'm going to stick to the horse. Mm. I don't need to find this magical liquid that goes into this to then run my horse. I just feed it with like hay and all that. Mm. Right? You missed the point. It's easy to do that. And also cars, I remember learning this, that cars even had songs written about it that only if you were like a bad person, you owned the car. <laughs> only bad people owned cars you can even go back further do you know when like people started writing like the written word was uh getting on pieces of paper there were philosophers and different scientists that were afraid that people would not remember things so like they'd say this is terrible we got to remember things and have an oral history if we write it all down people are going to forget things so it's so easy to make that mistake yeah well, we shall leave the Luddites behind and go merrily into the metaverse. We just won't yep. call it the metaverse. Exactly. Just <laughs> and, a cool experience. <laughs> Going back to, you know, obviously you've been brand agency side and, and tech side as well, but thinking about some of the people who will be listening to this podcast who are earlier on in their career, have you got any advice for, you know, the, what are the differences between the, the, the brand and agency side? Yeah. Uh, there are lots of differences. There's a lot of similarities. I'd first say that if you have an opportunity to work at an agency and especially earlier on in your career, jump on it. I think everybody should have agency experience because you understand what it's like to serve clients. Also, you have the ability to work on different clients mm-hmm. and different pieces of technology and also move very, very, very fast. So that could kind of give you an idea as to the area that you want to focus on, right? You could work on content one day and analytics the next day at an agency. And then maybe you decide, you know, I want to be more of an analytics person. Mm-hmm. And then you could go to an agency and then, excuse me, to a brand and then take all that knowledge and then just hammer it, mm-hmm. right? Be the, the best analytics person you possibly can. Because uh, when it comes to the brand side and even the tech side, it's a lot more of a specialized kind of area. Not all brands, not all departments. So I'm very much generalizing here. But as you get bigger in the organizations, right, they're going to just want a social media person. They're just going to want an analytics person, mm-hmm. so on and so on. And so if Take time to work in an agency, get to learn how fast you can move. And also it'll make you a better client when you're on the other side yeah. too. I know what it's like when I ask someone to do X, Y, Z, right? I know what it's like to put together a presentation and present it. So I, on this side, I think it's given me the ability to have better relationships with the agencies than if I wouldn't have had that experience on the agency side. I have found that um, some of our brand clients can be quite quick to say, I used to be agency side. <laughs> Almost it's like, I get you. It's okay. <laughs> yes, yes. I say that. I, I I don't say it so much anymore because I was maybe a bit self-conscious that someone would roll their eyes and be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Right. And then I just, so I try to 
not focus on that side anymore. But it was funny, actually, since we worked together, right, the social element and myself, I remember I was sick and I got, I had to cancel a meeting that we were planning. And I know that you were prepping for, for weeks and I wasn't feeling well and I canceled the meeting. And then the next day I said, let me email Ashley and the team and say, if you are ever sick or anybody's ever sick on your end, you have the ability to cancel something with me. Because I remember being on the other side and the agency side and being like, even if I was sick, some people would be like, no, we're still showing up. Or I'd be like, I'm still showing up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. And I said, I can't do that. I can't. That's unfair. So I remember sending that email and being like, hey, look, if you're ever sick, just send me a note. We could postpone. Yeah. I think that's what a, a true partnership is is as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're all humans at the end of the day. Working yeah. Together. Genuine humans. Yeah. <laughs> so... We're going to move on to the part of the podcast where we get a bit more personal now. I hope that's all right with you, Leo. I don't know. I thought we were personal now. I don't know. How much deeper can we get? Oh, well, I know. I, I say say this when we move on to this section and, and I think, well, what have we been up until now then? So, <laughs> <laughs> so what's your idea of a perfect weekend and do you have any guilty pleasures? Oh, guilty pleasures. So perfect weekend. Actually, just recently, my girlfriend and I had very close to the perfect weekend. We got up early. We had our breakfast. We went dancing. We love to dance. So we are doing some salsa and bachata dancing. We did that. Then we ended up going to the park with our dog, then having an amazing meal. We uh, did some yoga and meditated. And then we were in bed by like nine. That's like awesome for me now. (laughs) That's it. But that's a lovely full day and fresh air and exercise and and i'm hoping great food it sounds lovely yeah yeah things like that like i try to really focus on a lot more and i I really attribute my time spending and learning meditation to try to just be happy in any environment that i'm in obviously some may attract more uh, high energy than others like traveling and things like that but Mm -hmm. as long as i'm with friends and we have time to take it slow that's kind of where i'm the happiest it's quite hard to be truly in the moment. I think now there's yep. a lot of conversation about how we've been robbed of our focus or allowed our focus to be robbed and and, and, sure. and that. So it's it's almost feels like quite a skill now, doesn't it, to just be able to be in that moment. Certainly. Yeah, I think it's always been troubling to be in that moment, right? Because you always have that little voice in your head talking mm-hmm. to you, whether it was TV or not TV or internet or whatever it may be. But like you said, now it is harder. But I like that you changed your phrasing there, that we've allowed mm-hmm. that to be taken away from us, right? Because by saying it that way, then it realized we still have power. Yeah, it's we have the responsibility for ourselves. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the ability. Yeah. You talked a little bit about what advice that you would give to someone in an early stage of their career about brand and agency, but what about um, just general life? If you could look back and give some advice to your teenage self, what would that be? Yeah, certainly. Look, you don't have to worry. And there's a difference between working hard and working smart. I think, especially here in the States, we are taught that you need to work very, very, very hard. And somehow that's very admirable. And at times it definitely is. Right. But also working smart is important. And you could do a lot by working less. Right. Uh, there's a not to get too into philosophy and such, but like the Tao Te Ching is a philosophy from uh, Asia. And it's like the less that you do, the more that you do. And if you kind of think about that from a creative perspective, uh, it really makes a lot of sense. I'm mostly creative when I'm not trying to be creative. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, another philosophy from that is uh, when the work is done, it is done. Right. Like finish. You're done. Move on. Right. And I had a very difficult time doing that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. detaching my personal self from my work. Right. Thinking that everything that I did in work, good or bad, represented me as a human. And it's taken me a very long time to separate myself from that. Can I be happy? And I should be able to be happy outside of work based on my relationships with my friends and my family and the things that I do outside of work. It's not all about work. And that drove me, you know, to, to a bad part of my life sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, just if I have this job or didn't have this job, like, what does that mean for me? So I would say my earlier self and anybody who's younger, like don't confuse your job with your identity. That's great advice. I may go immediately and tell that to my teenager. <laughs> <laughs> They'll thank you later. Right. They'll be like yeah. me. I'm like, why are you telling me that, Wendy? <laughs> Mom. Hopefully, Mom. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're like, thank you. Leah, you mentioned your perfect weekend. There was a, a nice sort of meal in a restaurant. What's the best restaurant you've ever been to? So the I think there's a couple of ways I could answer that. The, the first thing that comes to mind is in Mexico City, David Berkowitz and I went to a restaurant called Pojo, or Pojo, and it's considered one of the top restaurants in the world. And that was such an amazing experience. I've never been to such a restaurant. It was so beautiful. It had like a garden inside, real yeah. life trees everywhere. Oh. The food was amazing. The people were amazing. So I like to, that, that comes to mind. But of course, there are countless experiences of not necessarily a restaurant, but who I was with at a certain restaurant, right? I've been at crappy restaurants that I had the best time of my life. Of course, of course. Kind of thing. But yeah, that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. And there are still so many in New York to get through, right? Yeah, and it's constantly changing. Here, if you're ever in Long Island City, one of my favorite here is Casa Enrique, is a Michelin star Mexican place in uh, Long Island City. So anybody's ever in the area, hit me up and we'll go together. <laughs> Fabulous. It's a date. <laughs> yes. And do you have a book inside you? Have you got a yearning to write a book and what would it be about? Yeah, I, I'd love to write a book. And I've been fortunate enough to actually be approached to write a book and I've declined it. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason is because they've wanted me to write a social media book and a digital book, more of a manual. And I want to take the human aspect of it mm -hmm. and what it's like to be emotionally intelligent in it, what it's like to work in this space and what are the philosophies that you could apply to help you do better and be innovative. And so far, no one's actually wanted to publish that book, <laughs> right? But hopefully those are the kind of things I, I want to write. Because again, it goes back into what you said earlier, Tamara, about planning and such. If you could get all that, figure all that all out, the, the amazing ideas will come. If you're yeah. full of anxiety or you're confused about your identity when it comes to work versus your personal life, like you're going to struggle. You might be mm -hmm. doing great, but you could be doing better. Those are the kind of things I want to write. I want to write around philosophy, about emotional intelligence, things like that. So kind of unlocking the genuine human within so that you can be fabulous. You got it. Well, one of the things that I speak about a lot and sometimes it's polarizing and I've given speeches on this is lying, right? So I actually follow a philosophy where I don't lie at all. And most people are like, oh, you lied? We all kind of lie like little white lies where you're telling like, oh yeah, you look nice in that shirt. Or yeah, that presentation is going to go well. Or yeah, you could get that job, right? And those are the little lies that people think are okay but I actually have a philosophy where that's not okay. It's almost never, I, I go to sleep even to the point where like surprise parties are not okay, right? Mm -hmm. Because you could actually devalue your relationship with people. Let's say tomorrow we were throwing you a surprise party. 
and then Wendy and I and, and Ashley and Amy all got together and like conspired, right? You could look at it in two different ways. Oh, that's awesome. But also, how are you able to go a month without me knowing about anything that you were doing? <laughs> For the record, I never want a surprise party. I'm much, <laughs> I am much too much of a control freak. I want to yeah. plan it. I want to know who's coming. I want to get karaoke sorted. So then I can plan your next party and you'll be okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So things like that, right? And even at work, right? Like if someone's showing me a presentation, it's better for me to be present mm. and for me to even tell my truth and say, look, I actually would go this direction instead of just saying, yeah, it looks great because I don't want to make someone upset. I think you could create that friction and say things in a good way, because telling the truth all the time doesn't mean being a jerk. Mm-hmm. And you will actually help them. And that's happened many times where people have been upset at me for saying something and they've come back and be like, thank you so much yeah. for yeah. telling me. It, it's sort of, it's the trust thing again, isn't it? And yes. and on also linked to the being allowed to fail. Yes. It's, it's suppose it's not about failing. It's about helping someone to be better. You got it. And it, it, it is amazing. It's like one of the best things in my life that I started following and it's difficult. It's hard. I'm not by any means some kind of God. I I make a mistake every single time, but it's about when I make that mistake, like I've had a gut reaction, like that looks nice. Right. Then I go back and I'm like, tomorrow, actually, you know, sorry, I give you uh, such a quick response. And I realize your relationships get so much better because now when your friends come to you, they know you're going to tell them the truth. They're not worried that you're just lying or pandering. So it's quite an interesting idea. That's the book, right? Like that's there you that, go. that kind of stuff. And but apply to marketing. Love it. I'd buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sold. So if if Tamara and I had it within our power to to give you an extra hour every day, other than write that book, what would you do with it? Yeah, I would spend it with my friends and, and family, my girlfriend, my dog, my grandparents. That's I think why we're here, right? To enjoy each other spend more time talking and, and connecting, whether it's this podcast or something. I love that. Mm-hmm. I used to joke that I'm too social for social media because <laughs> I'd rather be here talking <laughs> and talking to people than writing a tweet. So yeah, that's what I would be focused on. That's lovely. And speaking of relationships, how would your friends describe you and how would you like them to describe you? I have a feeling they'll be fairly similar, actually. Maybe. I, I hope we should maybe part two of this podcast, you could interview them. And see, what do you think about Leo? Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, based on what I just said, hopefully that uh, they could trust my opinion, that uh, my opinion comes from a good place, that I want to support them, whether they like it or not, right? Whether it causes that friction. Um, but I will be there for them and I'm out for their, their best interests. And I will let them know. And also that I'm reliable, that I could be there for them. Growing up, my family was really big on that. My, my family... You know, obviously we all have polarizing figures in our family and such, but I know they'll always be there for me. And I hope that that's what people around me think too, that I'll always be there for them regardless. I'll be there to support them and help them. And then also uh, I like to be there hopefully to inspire people. Like I love ideas, hmm. right? Someone once told me that one of the reasons they liked being around me so much is because like, I just get excited. Like you're right now, you and Tamara are saying, I'm going to write a book. I'm like, that's awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, how can I help you? Like, that book sounds awesome. Let's let's do this. Let's do that. And I'm like, so hopefully that's the way they describe me. And I think it served me well too, just who I am. Leo, it's been so good to talk to you. And, and I think just before we we finish up, I just want to sort of give you the the final closing words. If there, Is there anything that you wanted to talk about today that we haven't actually uh, touched on? Or if you have any sort of closing thoughts, the the platform is yours. 
Thank you so much. You know, I was hoping that you would ask me about pugs because I'm pug obsessed, but that's for a whole other podcast that maybe we can collaborate on. Podcast. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I like that. So much trademarked already <laughs> with everything else you're doing, Tamara. No, I, there's not much I, I, I want to say. What I'd like to say is like, if you're listening to this and you need any support, have any questions that I can help you with your career or Web3 or whatever maybe reach out on LinkedIn. Let me know. Let's have a chat. Let's set up a Zoom. I am okay with coffee chats. I think those sometimes people are like, don't message me for a coffee chat. If they said no to you, come to me because I will say yes to you. I, I agree with that so much. I've had, I see sometimes people saying you shouldn't have coffee. You know, they should pay you for your time. And, and actually I've had amazing, you know, there's so much serendipity when you meet yeah. someone and you have a coffee and, and yeah, I think in this, when people have been working from home a lot more, I think it can be really uh, connecting as well. So 100% agree with you on that. The learning goes both ways. You know, there's something for each person to get out of that coffee chat. So, yeah. And I think I'm leery of anybody who has like hard and fast rules. Like even when someone says meetings are bad, I'm like, no, meetings are not bad. Bad <laughs> meetings are bad. <laughs> right. Should I, do I have coffee with every single person that reaches out? No, because sometimes they're just a salesperson just trying to sell me something and I could see through that or I could ask enough questions that I get to the point. Right. So you know, coffee with people is fantastic. Right. But just be smart about it. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.